Let's read for ourselves Romans 1, verses 11 through 15. This is what Paul writes. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established or strengthened. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Our lives before people would dramatically change if we were to live before them always with the intent of carrying out gospel ministry. That's the basic idea I want to share with you this morning. Our lives would drastically change if we lived always with the intent of fulfilling and carrying out the gospel ministry that God has called us to and God has given us. I'm not going to give you any opening introduction. I want to go right to our first point because there are a number of things I want us to see in this text before us. And the first thing I want us to note here is the ministry that Paul wishes to have in Rome among the Roman Christians. And it is, in a sense, an expression of gospel ministry. He wants to come to them, and through the power and gifting of the Holy Spirit, he wants to minister to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants to see them live gospel lives. He wishes these new believers to be established and strengthened in the way of Christ. He wants the grace of God's saving work that has begun in their life to extend out into every aspect of their living. And so this is what he means in verse 11 when he says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. The word their gift is grace or charismata. So that you may be established and strengthened. Paul is coming to them with the gospel and the full benefits of the good news of Jesus Christ. And he believes that out of the fullness of that gospel, there is more for them to learn and more for them to know and more for them to experience of the richness of God's saving work. So he's coming to them with this idea of the full benefits of this gospel to bring it to them. And so Paul actually concludes in Romans 15, verse 29, a further assertion of this desire. Although he speaks of this truth and this gospel throughout the letter he writes them, he still is not content that he's seen it, in a sense, implemented into our lives. He still wants to come to them with this message. And so in Romans 15, 29, which is a complement to Romans 1, 11, Paul says... But I know when I come to you that I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. I know I'm going to come to you with all the riches that the gospel has for you and I want to bring it to you. One of the things we can draw from that is this application. We must never think that our salvation through Jesus Christ is only a matter of gaining heaven or eternal life in the hereafter. It is gaining Christ and all of the benefits of being reconciled with God also in the here and now. It is living in the fullness of all that we can receive through Jesus Christ. It's having our lives fulfilled by being what we were made to be and what God has in this work of recreating us and giving us new life through Jesus Christ, what we were called to be, and that is to be obedient, 
loving worshipers of God through Jesus Christ. I should say that the greatest and most wonderful implications of the gospel, the greatest impact of the gospel to be known is known by us, not on the initial day of our saving. It's the power that God begins to express in our lives and release in our lives beyond that moment in which he forgave us from the penalty of our sins at the day of our salvation. It is the outflow of that salvation like a mighty river coming upon us, leading us in deliverance from self and sin on a daily basis. It's the outpouring of that grace of God in saving us that gives us triumph over the perversities and the perversions of sin and self that still surround us in this world. Positively, it's the outflow of the gospel that offers us the refreshing benefits of God's presence and living in the midst of those things that God takes pleasure in. This is gospel living. And Paul wants to encourage the Roman Christians into those things. He wants to bring to believers the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he wants to minister to them. At the same time, Paul also wants to and has a desire that along with these Roman Christians, he might extend that gospel life to those who have never heard it before. He might bring other people to Jesus Christ as well, that they might be converted to Christ and come into salvation. And Paul speaks about this focus of his life and ministry in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We read these verses in our scripture reading this morning. In verses 19 and 22, Paul says this, Though I am free from all men, the gospel has set him free and given him liberty in Jesus Christ. Though I am free from all men, I have made myself the servant of all that I might win the more. To the weak, I've become weak that I might win the weak. I have become, Paul says, all things to all people or all men that I might by all means save some. That's a part of his desire as well. He wants to see the gospel brought to the believer in all of its fullness, in all of its benefits, and he wants to minister that gospel to their lives, and he also wants to see that gospel brought to individuals who have never come to Christ before. In Romans 1.13, then Paul says that he is coming to them that he might have some fruit among you also, just as among other Gentiles. Two lines of fruitfulness he's seeking for here in the gospel. The fruitfulness of the gospel developing its implications and its impact in our lives and the life of the believer. He talks about this in Galatians chapter 5, doesn't he? In verses 22 through 25. Take your Bibles and go there. Galatians 5, verses 22 through 25. These are verses we should know about. This is his aim and this is his goal that he might be used as an instrument of the Spirit of God to coax and bring people into this kind of gospel life, this kind of gospel living. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against this, there is no law. There are no laws that are made to somehow inhibit these kinds of expressions. These are the very things that God wants to flourish in your life. And those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. This is the kind of gospel fruit that, first of all, Paul is seeking among the Christians in Rome. The fruit of maturing Christians walking in the Spirit, manifesting the life of Jesus Christ through the power of that Spirit, producing Him the fruit or the attributes in the life of Jesus Christ. 
At the same time, he also wants to have that fruit of new persons coming to Jesus Christ. On a number of different occasions, on actually two different occasions, Paul refers to the individuals who were the first to believe in Jesus Christ in what was southern Greece. And he calls them the first fruits of the gospel. And so when you bring a person to Jesus Christ, that's fruits. That's the fruit of the gospel as well. And he wants, I think he's speaking of both of these expressions of fruitfulness. This is the gospel ministry of the Christian. We want to see the gospel flourish in the life of other Christians. And we want to influence the flourishing of that gospel truth in their lives. And we also want to see the gospel come and flourish in the life of the unbeliever, producing new life so that they might know him and believe in him and trust in him. So Paul concludes by saying in verse 15 of Romans chapter 1, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. He's ready to preach it to them, the believer, and with them to other unbelievers. It's his desire. It's the thing that's come upon him. And the other thing Paul says here, and this is the next point I want you to notice here, is Paul says that there is an impulse within him to take that gospel to others, and there's also an obligation set upon him to take that gospel to others. So I just want to make a contention here. I don't think Paul is just speaking about himself. I don't think Paul is this extraordinary, uncommon Christian. I think Paul is expressing to us the heart of the born-again Christian. This is the measure of the person who is a true follower of Jesus Christ. Everyone who is born again of God knows this impulse into gospel ministry. They know this impulse wanting to influence those within the body of Christ with what it is that God is doing in their own life. There's something within them that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. They want to share that goodness with others. And at the same time, there's this impulse, this desire that grows up within them and want to take that gospel to those who have never heard and those who have yet to receive this good news. Beyond the impulse, the born-again child of God, as he begins to walk out and live out this life of surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, recognizes that there's an obligation to these things as well. Not only an impulse within but an obligation upon him. And that's our second observation here, our second point. Paul actually speaks of this. There is an internal drive and also an external compulsion to engage in gospel ministry. And it comes to all believers. An internal drive and an external compulsion. See here that Paul feels an internal pressure driving him to this readiness. He says in verse 11, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. He yearns within himself. It's something that's built up within him. And this internal impulse is something that broke into Paul's heart on the day in which he was converted and brought to Christ. And the moment that he confessed him and believed in him, this impulse came upon him. And by the way, at the same time, this impulse came upon him. And that day, a command came to him as well because Christ told him, I'm raising you up to be an apostle to the Gentiles. But this impulse came into his life. The Spirit of God came and indwelt him and began taking up residence in his heart. He was forgiven and he was cleansed and God began to live inside of him. And at that moment, a new heart was beating within him. A new pulsation was driving him. It was the heart of God and God's heart is a missionary heart. It's a heart to bring people to himself and to bring himself to people. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.20, describing this new sensation, this new thing that was taking place in his life that he says makes him and makes all people ambassadors of reconciliation. He says in verse 20 of 2 Corinthians 5, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. 
We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul is saying that God has taken hold of his very being. And God is sending out his pleadings, his own divine pleadings, so to speak, through his own mouth and his own lips. You'll remember the prophet Jeremiah was called of God to call the people of Judah back into repentance to himself. The people didn't respond well to Jeremiah's witness. They persecuted him on one occasion. They took him and threw him in a pit for days. And he was trapped there in a well, an empty well, just full of mud. He sunk in and eventually someone came and took him out. But it was difficult for Jeremiah. And Jeremiah ultimately decided this was too difficult for him. This was too hard a task. So he decided not to proclaim it anymore. Not to give the people God's word. And this is what Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 29. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. I tried to not say something, but the drive and the impulse was in me. And you should find some comfort in the saving life that you received from Jesus Christ that puts within you a knowledge and a desire and an impulse to share that life with others. It's, a, it's evidence that God himself is abiding within your heart and your life. Don't quench that. Don't frustrate that. You're not only denying the impulse of the Holy Spirit when you restrain yourself from sharing the good news and the gospel with other individuals, but you're also, if you've truly been born again, you are denying your own nature. Not long ago, it was a few years back, I engaged in a series of interviews with a number of individuals as they were sharing their testimonies. One of the things we wanted to talk about was that moment of conversion in their life and what were some of the immediate responses that they saw rising up within them that they didn't expect. And you know, for some of them it was, well, you know, they just wanted to read their Bibles as much as they could. But for many of them, it was, I had to go tell somebody else. I immediately went and told my parents. I immediately told my friends. I immediately began to share with people this gospel. Like, Amy's here. Amy was one of the people that I interviewed. Amy said that she'd been a bit of a party girl in high school and uh, was to give a speech. What was it for, Amy? That's right. Amy was nominated to be the homecoming queen. And so she had a chance right after she'd given her life to Christ to give a speech for the homecoming speech. And she used it to share the gospel with everybody that was there. She just had to tell people. And then also there's an impulse to be with other Christians, which I believe also is a desire to share the gospel. It's to flourish in the presence of other individuals. It's to receive what they're receiving from Jesus Christ, but it's also to share it with them. This wonderful change has taken place in their lives. It's what God does in our life. When God created the world, he created every living thing within the world, and he put within it some kind of internal mechanism that insist upon propagating, that insist upon reproducing itself. If this is true in biological life, if this is true in physical life, do you not believe it's also true in spiritual life? If you've truly been born again of Jesus Christ and you have that spiritual life in you, do you think God shuts off that valve, that law, that impulse? No. There's an impulse within you, a desire within you to promote and express that joy and that love and that peace and that wholeness and that power and that comfort that you found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You begin to see everybody else as in need of what you've discovered and what you've found. And have you heard? Have you understood? 
It's the impulse you have. 2 Corinthians 5, again, go back there. Paul writes in verses 14 and 15 these words. He expresses the reality that in coming to Christ by the Holy Spirit, the love of Jesus Christ has been poured upon him. That is Christ's own love for him. In that moment, he feels himself loved in a totality that he's never known before. But it's a love that is now surging through him and emanating back to Christ. And this love that has been poured upon him and comes upon his own life has changed the way that he calculates the lives of everyone else around him. He says in verse 14, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. We see that the gospel has an implication for all men. And it's calling all men to surrender and give their lives to the one who's died and rose again from the grave on their behalf. And then he adds in verse 16, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. We no longer measure people based upon their attainments or how we contrast with them or what they're doing to us and what we want to do to them and what we can get from them and what we can achieve from them. He says, now we look at all people through this new lens of spiritual life that we have through Jesus Christ. And we see them as people in need of this same life. Needing this life. And, and he yearns to bring this message to them. It's an internal propulsion that is driving him. But then also added to this, Paul tells us there's also an external duty that's compelling him in this work. Our walk as followers of Jesus Christ is a walk into obedience to Jesus Christ. Our obedience to Christ places upon us duties and obligations. And Paul speaks of this external demand to gospel ministry in verse 14 of Romans chapter 1 that we're looking at. There Paul says, I am a debtor. I am a debtor. He feels himself a debtor to all kinds of people regardless of their group identity, whether they're Greeks or barbarians, that is, Greeks or non-Greeks. In this case, it's whether they're Romans or non-Romans. He also feels this indebtedness to them regardless of their individual capacity whether they're wise or they're unwise he owes everyone the debt a payment he feels this indebtedness john stock kind of points out what this means he points out that there's two ways for us to come into indebtedness one is that we can borrow money from an individual and now we're indebted to pay them back but the other way is that a person can give us money with the instruction to pass it on to another person to give it to a friend, to give it to somebody in need. And now all of a sudden we are debtors by way of command. We've received something from somebody else to give to somebody else. And we're debtors to that somebody else. We maybe have never met them. We don't know them, but we've been assigned a task. We've been enriched in order to enrich them and pass it on to them. The gospel of our salvation is free and it comes to us by faith alone, but it brings us into a life of obedience to the Lord Jesus and a life of obedience to God. And God's commands reflect God's own heart. They reflect God's own nature. They're expressive of the great desires that God has himself. The word of God teaches us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, that God desires all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's his desire. And out of that desire, God gives us commands. Matthew 28, Jesus comes before his disciples and says, Go into all the world and make disciples. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus comes before his disciples and says, Go and preach the good news, the gospel, to all creation. 
There's your command. It's been put upon you by way of obligation. You can also see this obligation that's set upon us by the second great command that the Lord Jesus taught was given to us. You know, the first command was to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. He said the second was like it. It was to love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 7, verses 12, the Lord Jesus takes that second command and restates it in a way that you might understand a little bit better. He says there, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law of the prophets. We call it the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Now, believer, you've been saved. You've been rescued from God's judgment and wrath against your sins. You've been forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and your faith and trust in Him. You've been, as a result, reconciled to God the Father and brought into His family. You've been taken out of darkness and you've been brought into the kingdom of light. You've been completely and totally submerged in His forgiveness. You've been cleansed inside and made completely whole. Your body has now been made a temple of the residing presence of the Holy Spirit. You have been lifted in a sense from the vagaries of this world and made heirs of all the promises of eternity in heaven. It's good news. It's your experience. It's what God has given to you. Let me ask you something. If you were still in the dark, if you were still unforgiven, if you were still without hope, if you were still in the ignorance and alienation of your sins, would you want someone to tell you this gospel? Would you want to know these things? Would you want to be forgiven? Would you want to have this life you have and enjoy? Would you want to find a place of complete forgiveness? Would you want this sure hope of heaven? Would you want this unending communion with the Father? Is it so precious to you that if you didn't have it, you would want it? What would you want for yourself? if you were lost and without Jesus now? Paul has answered this question for himself. And his answer is this. I'm a debtor to everyone. If I'm going to live my neighbor as myself, if I'm going to follow and answer this command, I'm a debtor to them all. I've been given something that's enriched me to such an extent that I have to give it to others. He is externally compelled to these things. Here we see it. There's this internal insisting of the new life that he's received through Jesus Christ and there's the command of God upon him to love his neighbor and it sets him with a resolve to carry the gospel ministry and to be ready for such a work and for such a life. And the same should be said of us. The same desire, the same impulse. Now, check yourself. Is it not? We ignore it. We stifle it. We, by omission, do not follow the promptings of God. But if you're a child of God, is that not the case? Is that not the case? Here's the third thing I want you to see here. Paul says he's ready with all that's in him to share the gospel with those who in Rome, and there's a readiness that comes upon us. The question is, how are we to be made ready for this gospel? How is it that we are ready to bring this gospel to others who are believers and also ready to bring this gospel to the unbeliever? How are we to work in such a way that both believers and unbelievers may, through the witness of our lives, flourish in the gospel. There are two things I want you to see here. And the first thing is simply this. Know that you have something to offer another. 
know that you have something to offer. Paul knows he has something to offer others. He knows he has this grace of the Spirit resting upon his life, and in it he feels the authority to carry that to others. He knows what he has. He knows what he has to offer. He knows it's something of his fullness, something of its blessing, and as a result he knows that he has something that others need. Know what that is. Realize that you have an advantage of grace to give to others. Be like Paul and know that you're not ministering out of some kind of deficit. He was ministering out of his fullness. Oftentimes, I've given this advice to young individuals that are hoping to get married. And my advice simply is this. Listen, if you're looking for somebody and you find somebody and you decide, well, I need that person. I need them to be whole in my life. They fulfill some missing component of my life. Don't marry them. Don't put that burden on them. They won't be able to fulfill it. They will fail in it, and at some point in time, you'll be unsatisfied with them. Find all of your fullness and all of your completeness and all of your wholeness in Jesus Christ. Find yourself complete and content in Jesus before everything else, and then when you know that, should God will and God lead you and God prompt you, find a mate that you can share that fullness and that completeness with. Pour that out upon them. That's what a Christian marriage, a gospel marriage is supposed to look like, but that's kind of what a gospel ministry is supposed to look like as well. We come before individuals to bring to them and share with them the completeness that we found in Jesus Christ. We have life in His Spirit. We have grace from God, and we walk before them in that Spirit and in that life, and our message starts with this knowledge of what we have. We have life through Jesus, and we know it. Know what you have. Know what you have. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Let me read to you his words. This actually illustrates this point I want to make to you. There, Peter says, but in your hearts, and I'm reading from the New International Version, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do you see there? You have something. You have a reverent relationship with Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, and you have a reason and understanding of the gospel by which you've been saved. So start with knowledge and be clear on the knowledge of your salvation. Know that you've been saved and you've been saved in Jesus Christ alone. Know it's not by your works or by your labor or by your effort. Know that it's nothing you accomplished in yourself, but something that was freely given to you. Know that God worked in your life repentance and God worked in your life faith and God gave you this free gift through Jesus alone. I was uh, years ago in Venezuela and I was working with an individual who was a lawyer and he was very quick to communicate with individuals. We had done a training with these lay people and then we decided to go out to a village where they knew, had some friends and family member outside of the city of Caracas. He came with me and we met about three different families. We teach a really significant dialogue that takes place. We believe the Spirit of God is working ahead of us. He's working in people's lives that in order to share the gospel with them, it's important that we're respectful of them and we ask them questions that would reveal the common grace of God or the prevenient or calling grace of God in their life that God has put in them. They can't know it naturally. It's not their natural theology. It's what the Spirit of God is doing when He contends with all people, convicting them of sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, if that's the case, then they have something to tell us. So let's ask questions and let's listen to them. And, and you know, if you ever got a good gospel conversation, it, it should, instead of just a monologue, which sometimes we do when we're nervous, we just get up and try to talk as fast as we can and hopefully we can get our gospel points in before they turn us off. 
But if you ask them and you listen, well, the conversation can go on for quite a while. It should last for at least an hour or so. And so we engaged in those kinds of conversations. And he was very adept at it and doing a wonderful job. And I was just backing up, praying for him. Then we went to the home of a woman who is dying of a brain tumor. She was on a mat and a bed, and her sister and daughter were leaning in through the door that was outside in the home that she lived in, listening to everything. Actually, as we were asking the questions, she didn't have the power to respond or dialogue at all, but I could see that the sister wanted to talk about it, and the daughter wanted to talk about it. But I could also see that she didn't have the bandwidth or the power or the energy because of what was happening in her life physically to even absorb what was being said. So I turned, and I, I said to the brother I was working with, hey, listen, I got an idea. Why don't you go outside and sit on the sidewalk with the daughter, an older woman herself, and with her sister, and why don't you carry this dialogue on with them? And let me just have a little time with the woman alone. So he went out, and I remained in this little room with the woman and with his wife who translated for me. And I simply asked her, I know that you don't have a long time to live. Do you understand that? Yes, she said. I want to tell you what Jesus has done for you and what he's done to provide for your life and your future. You know, he knows all of the sins in your life. And he's come to earth and he lived a sinless life, but he went to the cross and he died on the cross to take the punishment that your sin deserves. Everything you've ever done wrong, he paid for at the cross. Do you understand that? Yes. He's done this so that if you believe in him and trust in him, you don't have to do any work yourself to save yourself. You just tell him you're a sinner and ask him to give you this free gift that he accomplished on the cross and you'll be forgiven and you'll be clean. And Jesus has demonstrated the power to forgive you because after dying for you, he rose again from the grave and he went to heaven and he said that he's coming again for everyone who will believe and trust in him and take them to be with him in heaven. Do you understand that? Yes. Would you like to be forgiven of all your sins through Jesus Christ? Yes. Are you ready to acknowledge that you need this gift, only this gift for your salvation? Yes. Let's pray together. That's the gospel. That's the hope. We know we have it. We share it with others. The situation may change, but it's something like that. You've got to know it. You've got to know you had it for yourself. Paul did. And he was ready, as a result, to share it with others. Here's the other thing Paul says. It's not only knowing what you have to share, knowing that you have this answer, but you also have to be ready in this way. You have to be ready to present it and share it in the right manner, in the right way. And so... Not only do you know what you have to offer individuals, but number two, you need to share this in a gentle and respectful manner. In 1 Peter chapter 3, again, verse 15, let's read the whole verse. It says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, always being prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I want to repeat the first sentence that I gave you at the beginning of this message. Our lives before people would be dramatically changed if we were to live always carrying out gospel ministry. The words that we share with them we have to know, but before the words, a manner of speaking them has to go with us. 
gentleness and respect. Here's the manner in which you come before your neighbor. Here's the manner in which you're to come before your workmate or your employees or your boss or your children or your spouse. Here's the manner in which we're to come before one another. Here's the manner in which we bring gospel ministry to one another and gospel ministry to people who don't know Jesus Christ. Here is to be the defining manner of our lives, to be ministers of the gospel. Gentleness and respect. What an answer for a strident world in which we live in. What an answer for a community more and more without truth and believing only in the truth of power and influence and of leveraging people and manipulating people to their own ends with empty gestures and words, with bearing it upon others, our ideas, our thoughts, our personage, our emotions, whatever it is, our self-advertisements. Instead, we live before others a life of gentleness, meekness, it says. It's a life absent of self-assertion, but asserting Christ only. And a life of respect where we communicate to others what we know and what we have freely been given and what they may freely receive. Now, how do we do that? That's even hard sometimes. But Jesus, as we've said before, who is the mediator between God and man, is also the mediator between man and man. Put the Lord Jesus between you and everyone. Go in the grace of the Lord Jesus, in the life of the Lord Jesus, to impart to one another and others the good news of the Lord Jesus. That will revolutionize your relationships with your neighbors. That will revolutionize your relationship with your children and your spouse. It'll revolutionize, revolutionize our relationships with one another, gospel ministry. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the impulse. I lift my voice now to give praise with those who right now, whether they've answered it, whether they've always obeyed it, Thank you for the impulse. Forgive us, O oh God, for frustrating your designs, the innate designs that you've placed in us because of the Spirit of God, that new thing that was birthed in us that's a part of our very being as your children. To live life in the gospel and to minister that good news to others. Oh God, help us to be more faithful, more immediately faithful in this manner and we don't have excuse because our lives are lived with others and so we always had access to this ministry and God may we express it and thank you as well for sharpening us by your commands oh help us to know the joy of trusting and obeying you in these things Lord bring before our minds those who need to know Jesus who we've thought of and we've prayed for and you've prompted us to go to them, may we go. May we go knowing the salvation we have in Jesus Christ and capable of simply expressing it to them. We ask in Jesus' name.